thank you. It is a joy and a privilege to worship with you this morning first and uh, give honor and glory to our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then to be able to open the word with you this morning while at the same time introducing our ministry to you. And uh, so thank you for the invitation, Pastor Joe. Uh, you are a blessed people here. Uh, you have a gifted pastor who loves the Lord, who's gifted in his preaching. I often have uh, tuned in to your services, uh, sometimes after Sunday, uh, to listen to some of the messages, and I appreciate the bold, clear exposition of the scriptures. And uh, so you are blessed. Uh, continue to support and encourage your pastor and your elders in the shepherding work that they do here. Uh, this morning, we are going to spend some time in this passage that Pastor Joe has just read from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I've entitled the message, One New Man for One Eternal Purpose. And it comes from the context of these verses that we're looking at this morning. The book of Ephesians is a rich book. Chapter 1 begins with the, with the spiritual blessings that are ours in the heavenly places and, and how blessed we are in the whole description of things that, that God has done for us through Christ and by his spirit and the way he encourages us day by day in his word and these wonderful truths. And then we get to chapter 2 and we're reminded of what we once were, dead in our trespasses and sins, serving under the prince of the power of the air, doing the evil things of the sons, as the sons of disobedience. But God, God in his great love, has sent grace to us in the form and person of Jesus Christ to redeem us so that through faith and trust in him, we can know him and love him and serve him, having been forgiven by him and made righteous and set apart for his workmanship with which he created us. And so as believers, we're entrusted that with that workmanship. And he begins to describe some of the unique work that Jesus did when he comes to chapter 3, where he has taken the Jews who were the people of God, but having torn the veil in two, access to God on the cross, now brings into that access we who were far off before, the Gentiles, the aliens, the strangers, and he's brought us together with the Jews, and he has made one new man. And in making that new man, it is th that new man comes together to represent, to display, and to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, exalting the glory of Christ for the purposes of the Father. And so when we gather to worship every Sunday, we are gathering together to display together those things in our lives. We are one new man. We oftentimes talk about being one church, one body, with all of the gifts that come together, one family. But here in this book, the emphasis is on the diversity of ethnicity, the diversity of the chosen people of God who were the Jews, and now the Gentiles come in, and we come into the passage that has been read, and we see that Paul has been gifted by grace to preach this mystery, this gospel, to the Gentiles. And it's real easy for us when we read that simply to think about Jews and Gentiles coming together for this grand eternal purpose of God. But I think it's helpful for us in the day in which we live, as well as in the mission that has been given to us to proclaim the gospel to the nations, to recognize that we, we understand pretty clearly who the Jews are, even though they're dispersed. But when we're talking about the Gentiles, we're not talking just about us. We're talking about every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
the diversity of peoples and cultures across the vastness of this world who one day will all bow before the throne singing of the worthiness of Jesus because of his glory and his purpose in redeeming them and glorifying the Father. And when we understand that, we understand something about the significance of the gospel in the day in which we live in our country where there is division over cultural and appearance differences. The gospel has come to unite us into one. But not just a focus on ourselves in a local church, but to recognize that as a church, we then have a responsibility to declare this truth to the Gentiles, to the nations, to expand and broaden the glory of God around this globe. Pastor Joe referred to you as a small church, and according to numbers and statistics, that would be true. Sometimes as small churches, we sometimes think we're insignificant. This morning, I'm here to encourage you, to encourage you for who you are and what God is doing in you and how that his eternal purpose is accomplished by you in a way that we don't often think. But as before we get into some of that, let me talk about who Missio Serve is and how we fit into this grand purpose. You may have heard of Missio Serve. Let me see. You can go ahead and move ahead here. You, you may not have heard of Missio Serve. Maybe you have. You might be more familiar with you if I let you know that we were formerly Bible Basics International. Um, some of the people from Riverside have participated in our star teams in the past. I've been on star teams with Alita Jeanette, uh, her daughters, and others. So you may be familiar with Bible Basics International, and the focus of Bible Basics International was primarily in radio ministry, writing good, sound, doctrinal radio programs that can be broad translated into various languages and broadcast around the world. Um, we had a radio station in Roatan, Honduras for a number of years that led to missionary work there. We have a station in Togo, West Africa, and we have outreach and church planting happening there. Um, so that's who we were. As I came in to be the new executive director almost four years ago now, the board in bringing me in had a desire to see a foundation, the foundation of the ministry built on to begin to expand to the nations through helping churches send missionaries to the mission field, which was my very heart. And so along the way, I established the Missio Serve vision, which you will see here on the next slide, and that is that we are a mission-serving alliance, extending the worship of God. That's our primary focus and purpose in what we do. We're extending the worship of God by doing three things, serving the senders and the sent. The senders are you, the local church. The mission agency does not have the authority to send. The authority comes from Christ by way of his spirit to the local church to send the missionary. And so as a mission agency, we do not want to rob or pull that authority away from the church. So, so we come alongside the church to serve the senders, to facilitate that sending, and then to serve those who are sent, to serve the missionaries you send in preparation for going and for faithfulness while they are on the field. And so we take a serving and partnering role within that. And then secondly, we want to mobilize workers with the word. We do that through pastoral training, but we do it through going to churches. And, and as I go to churches and as I'm here this morning, one of my questions is this, who's next? Who's next from your church who will go? God is calling people out from his church. It may be somebody who's here today. It may be one of the young people. 
who might God send next from this place? And then finally, advancing the gospel to the unreached and the unengaged. There are peoples around the world who will be born, live their entire life, and die, and never hear the name of Jesus. The unreached are not those who are unsaved. That is true. They are unsaved. The unreached are those who have no access to the gospel. And so this region here, Newport Ritchie, Florida, is reached because there's churches and opportunity for the gospel in many places. But there are places in the world where there is no opportunity for someone to hear. And those are the places that we must go. And so we want to help advance the gospel in serving the church to send missionaries to those kinds of places. Uh, so how do we do that? Well, there's a few things. Let me show you. The next slide will indicate ignite your church. One of our ministries is to come alongside of churches like you and, and go through a step-by-step -step missions engagement process to simply sit down with those that are your leadership and those that are interested in missions to have a, a series of conversations about missions to learn what you're doing, what you're doing well, what you're frustrated with and don't know how to do, and maybe some things you haven't thought about before so that you can care for and shepherd your missionaries in a greater way. I know that you have sent Marshall and Helen and Tim and Julia. That's a wonderful thing. How well are you caring for them? How well are you communicating with them? How well are you praying for them? We want to urge you to, to step that up because it's for the advance of the gospel and they're serving in hard places, facing a great enemy. And so we come alongside to serve the church. Secondly, we have a ministry we've developed called Missio Go. Uh, we used to do star teams, which was gathering people from all over to go do medical and evangelism and discipleship in Honduras. And we've seen some fruit from that, but a lot of time and effort and experience happened that didn't show long-lasting fruit. And we really believe that long-lasting fruit happens through the local church and their missionaries. So Missio Go is a ministry to come alongside of you as a church to go, where might you go in short-term missions? What are the needs in Iowa? What are the needs in Vietnam? How can the work that's being done there by missionaries be advanced by some people coming to serve in a very specific gospel-oriented way? And we want to help churches think through that and in, increase their mission involvement as a result of that. Uh, we're, we're offering and, and, and currently serving with interns. We call it our ID interns. Helping young people understand their identity in Christ and their gifts and their calling while experiencing some missions. This morning I have two people that are part of our team that's here. Lydia, if you'll just raise your hand. Lydia is one of our interns right now. She's been in Honduras uh, the last number of months, she's now finishing up her internship. She's here at our office locally, uh, learning a little bit about who we are. She's here this morning to, to learn about how we do ministry in churches. And so Lydia is here. And then Jim Brown is our full-time volunteer um, and has been serving with us for, for a number of years now. And uh, they'll be back at the table if you have questions about the ministry. They'll be glad to talk to you about it from their perspective. But we want to help young people consider the call of God on their lives. And an internship is a great way to do that. Mobile ministry is mobilizing biblical leaders. This is, this is specifically a ministry of teaching biblical hermeneutical principles in a simple training format, not information, but doing the work and transformation so that pastors and those who are being discipled on the mission field who don't have opportunity for formal training can learn how to read and understand the Bible so they teach it and preach it expositorily. That's what we're teaching them to do. 
And this is a great opportunity for your pastor or some of your elders or others who have handled the word to go and serve. As a matter of fact, I say that most often it's a waste of time for pastors to go on short-term mission trips and move a paintbrush around or swing a hammer and hit their thumb. It's a whole lot better for them to take the tool that they work with day by day and invest the word of God in some young men. And, and it, our mobile ministry is eight trips to the mission field every six months. And, and it doesn't have to be the same people going all of the time. But again, investing the word of God and getting pastors to go to the mission field and use what God has gifted them for and develop a relationship with a group of 12 to 15 pastors in another region and, and love on them and pray for them and it increases their love and their growth for missions. And so mobile is part of our ministry. There are certainly opportunities on the mission field. And uh, one of the things that we do is a ministry to talk to people who have interest in missions. And so the next slide after that will show you there's three steps that we go through. The first one we call discover. We want people to want walk through people who are considering missions to discover how God has gifted them, uh, wh what, where they might serve, what their needs are to prepare to go to that country to serve. And so it's a discovery process. And one of the first conversations that we have with them is this. As you are praying, go talk to your pastor and your elders and let them know you're considering this. So that your pastors and elders can shepherd and walk through this process with you as well. And we'll come alongside and help. And then it's the development stage is next. And development is where we customize training that is needed for the missionary. Some people will have certain skills and abilities, uh, but they don't have others. And we want to uh, identify an assessment. How can we best help you? How can we help you with spiritual warfare? How can we help you not only with coping with culture, but actually engaging culture and learning the culture that you're going to so that you can be more effective in ministry in a quicker way? And then finally, to deploy them. And this is a ministry partnership agreement that we do with a missionary that involves the, the identification of roles and responsibilities of the local church in sending and caring for that missionary the responsibilities of the missionary on the field as well as their responsibility back to their church and then the role that we as a mission agency can have in serving the church in their role and serving the missionary in theirs. And so it's a three-part uh, ministry agreement that we develop so that we communicate well and serve well those who are sacrificing uh, to take the gospel to the mission field. And so that's a brief introduction to who we are as Missio Serve and our, and our purpose statement is up there again, I think on this next slide. Oh, oh, I almost forgot this, Spark, how could I forget this? The last part of our focus is reaching the unreached and the unengaged. And one of the best ways we can do that through prayer. And so we say prayer is the spark that ignites God's church to his mission. And this is a new ministry that we're just un unfolding. And Tuesday night, the next slide, Tuesday night, we're holding a spark event at Trinity College of Florida in their chapel. They've been gracious to make it available to us. And we're inviting people from churches, just a handful or, or a few from each church, to come and learn how to specifically pray for unreached people groups. And it will be a training modeling process as we go through that. So if, if you're interested in praying for missions and, and maybe creating a movement of prayer for missions within your church, we'd invite you to come at 645. There will be some instructions on what we're going to do that night. And then we will pray from 7 until 8 o'clock in a variety of means and ways. There will be a time of worship and prayer. Uh, so we would encourage you to participate with us uh, in the work that we do. 
As I said, we're local. Our offices are down on Keystone Road. We're technically on Tarpon Springs Road because we're in Hillsborough County. Um, but we'd love for you to come and get to know us more, serve with us. Uh, we're here to serve you at the same time. Uh, we would love to participate together and encourage you so that together we can all accomplish the eternal purpose of God. So let's return to our text, Ephesians chapter 7. How can we understand this eternal purpose of God and participate in, in it in such a way that we are prepared and effective in what we do in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ? As we come to this text this morning and consider this, this purpose and this theme, let's pray together. Our Father in God, as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13 this morning, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see you and your glory and your purpose, and that you would give us a heart to respond in each unique way that is true of each of us to your glory and to your purposes, to your call, to your plan. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we have this one new man that God has created, bringing Jew and a multiplicity of Gentiles together so that we might accomplish his eternal purpose, which he declares to us as a mystery that's been revealed according to the work that Jesus has done for us. Well, what is this all about? We're going to look at some things, just some observations in the time that we have remaining this morning to consider the role that you play as a local church in the plan and purpose of God for his glory. Let me read verses 10 and 11. I'm going to start there in the middle of the text. It says there, so that through the church, that's you, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. There is a work that is to be done now, in this time, in this plan, in the redemptive plan and purpose of God, there is something to be done now by the church, and it is that, the, that the, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. The wisdom and the complexity of this great God in his redemptive plan, everything leading up to the cross and the work of Christ, and then from Christ, now having said it is finished, and united Jew and Gentile into one new man, into the church, to reveal something about God. His manifold wisdom, his, his many-sided wisdom. People in life oftentimes question God. The question is why, most often. And oftentimes when we are asking that question, our eyes are not on God and what he has to say. Our eyes are on ourselves and the circumstances that we don't like. Paul, as he's writing here, is suffering. The context in which he's writing this word is suffering, and he's, he's indicating that there will be future suffering. Why? Well, very simply, as a member of a church, as a part of a local church, one of the reasons you experience the hardships and the sufferings that you do, apart from, if I can, excuse me, if I can say it this way, apart from our own stupidity and poor decisions, but in the plan and purpose of God, the hardship and the suffering that we experience is so that the, the wisdom of God might be made known. 
so that the wisdom of God will be displayed. Let me put it this way. God's supreme desire in time and eternity is to display his manifold wisdom. In this time and for eternity, God has a complex and significant wisdom that is being revealed to the world. It's revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the transforming work of Jesus Christ within the life of the church. It's the evidence and the work of the gospel that unites us together into one body from different parts of the country or the world that come together into one church. Different levels of education, different, different cultural backgrounds, whatever our differences are, the gospel unites these differences in a way if you really think about it, it doesn't make sense. When you know who we are as people, and when we look at the world, the world does the opposite. The world divides. The world divides and draws lines. The world divides and draws lines and creates enemies. And we see the evidence of that in the world in which we live. And the world is amazed when they look at what God is doing through the church to take these different people who choose to put off the flesh and live by the Spirit of God in the spiritual man to unite and love one another and serve one another with the gifts that they have. And to be so full of that that their, their focus and their passion is not just on themselves, it is on the glory of God and the gospel. And because of that, it will take them outside of the church to go. It will take them from their pocketbook to give for those who go. And it will put the church on their knees to pray for those who are going. So that we all participate in the advance, the revealing of, the, of this manifold wisdom of God. God has a plan and a purpose that he is carrying out and it is being made known to the world through the church. But I stated that in a general way, which is true because Paul talks about preaching to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light to everyone what this plan and mystery is, the manifold wisdom of God. But the text draws our attention more specifically to a target for that wisdom. We don't often think this way, but the target, the grand target of this display of manifold wisdom is heavenly powers or rulers and principalities, both fallen and holy. Look at the text. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He's speaking there of the principalities and powers. He's speaking of the angels fallen and holy. Many of us are in an age that we have grown up in modernism that is focused on science and accomplishment and knowledge and applying knowledge appropriately to industrialize and, and to accomplish. And we have accomplished much. And oftentimes in the life of the church, the church has drifted into that modernism where the whole focus is on just gathering and having programs that work or doing the works that we do based on our talents, because we all have talents. Do you realize that unbelievers can gather and do programs that are effective and work? 
and unbelievers can use talents because God has given them talents to use? That's not the work of the church. The church is a spiritual work. We use the flesh, we use the talents, we use our diversity, but God has united us in a spiritual man and given us spiritual gifts, and, and, and we do this work spiritually. The word of God is a spiritual work of, of information, not to know, but to transform so that we will depend upon the spirit and obedience to the word of God and proclaim and love among us and proclaim and love to others as well. It's really, it's really pretty obvious, but we don't think this way. I, I, I look at the context. This is, this is in Ephesians chapter 3. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I already referenced that we were dead on our trespasses and sins. And what did we do when we walked that way? We followed the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and, the, and by nature were children of wrath. You see, we were gripped by sin and slaves to sin under the control of the fallen evil darkness of the prince of the power of the air and the fallen angels to, to keep us blind to Jesus Christ. There is this spiritual work that so oftentimes we don't want to think about. When we get over to the end of the book, chapter 6, we read there specifically about this. Uh, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Why? To stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And it goes on to describe this work then. There is a spiritual battle that we are involved in. So often we operate at the fleshly level, the physical level, and we forget that we're really wrestling against powers and principalities. When a missionary goes to a dark country, that has been under the grip of the prince of the power of the air for years without gospel access. There is a battle and a war that is fought constantly. And that missionary needs to be fully dependent upon the spirit of God and the power of God and understand the wisdom of God and the call of God in these things. Knowing that it is the gospel of God that will bring to light who God is, and set the people free from the chains of sin to be redeemed and to glorify God and be one of those peoples who will be before the throne of God in all of eternity, praising him. 1 Corinthians chapter, 10, verse, chapter 11, verse 10, sometimes a controversial verse about head coverings for women, and the whole focus comes on the physical part of the head covering. But have you ever noticed at the end of that verse, that it, that it says, for the sake of the angels. There's something that's being taught in that passage for the sake of the angels. It's not just about us. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 speaks of the prophets before who were trying to understand what God was revealing to them about what would happen in the future with Christ. They were understanding some of it, but not when or how or other things it would take place. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but Peter says, but you in the things that have now been announced to you. So the prophets in, in, in the past we're serving us so that the gospel could be proclaimed to us. And there is a sense in which we who are serving today are serving for, for, on behalf of them for those who will hear the message of salvation. A salvation in which at the end of the passage it says that angels long to look for and see. There is a work that God is doing in his creation, which includes his angelic beings who are holy and righteous, who are there to serve his people. And God says in Ephesians that the work he is doing is to reveal to the angels his manifold wisdom. His power demonstrated over those who are fallen in the dark places his glory and his grace to the angels who had never seen that until Christ had come. They learned something new about God and continue to do that as they see God take these wretched sinful people on this globe, the earth, and redeem them by his grace. What a glorious thing to know that God is at work within you to accomplish his purposes, not only to glorify him, but to reveal and teach the demonic and angelic world so they will see the glory of God. What a privilege that is, but what a responsibility it is too. Verse 10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. So I will say this, our next observation, the church is the agent by which and through which God displays his wisdom. It is through you. You are the agent. Your, your worship, your work, your walk with Christ, all of these things is a demonstration of the power of God to transform and change who you were into who you are becoming in Christ so that others will marvel at this. How is it done? It's done by means of the unsearchable riches of Christ. The next observation the unsearchable riches of Christ is the means by which and through which the church is shaped and established. The preaching is to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and mystery of all of these things. And so there is a work that is done in our lives when we are looking into and listening to the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. They begin with the gospel work of Christ, the gospel act of Christ, the redemption that is ours through Jesus Christ, but the work that he continues to do in and through us to grow us and to mature us into Christ's likeness. And so that is why the preaching and the teaching of the scriptures, your Bible study in the scriptures, reading the scriptures, interacting with others on the scriptures. Why? To not, not so 
not so that I can learn something so I can live a better life. Not so I can do better or try harder. But so that I can see Jesus. And I can begin to marvel at his unsearchable riches. These riches that are poured out on us. As we are where we are right now. Not when you become a bigger church. Not when you become a better church. Not when you become a better person. But in Christ right now, by his spirit, the word at work reveals the riches of Christ that are poured out on you. Oh, keep your arms wide open. Embrace, receive, and then use by giving it away to others serving one another, loving one another within the church with a gospel-centered focus of that which has been entrusted to us by Christ and that which he has commanded us to, to do with that which he has entrusted us, the proclamation of the gospel. And so verse 8, we go back to, uh, as we're backing through this, Paul says, to me, though I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. And so preaching is the mode by which and through which the unsearchable riches of Christ is building his church. It, it, is, it is, Paul says, grace was given to me to preach. So part of the central purpose of the grace that has been given to us is to use our mouths. To proclaim, to declare, to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ to a world that is hungry and thirsty and dying in all places. And so we speak, we proclaim. If you look at the book of Acts, the first half of the book of Acts starts with a lot of praying, praying, waiting for the Spirit to come, praying as a result of the Spirit coming, but the work of preaching on the day of Pentecost and the preaching that continued resulted in what? Redemption. People who were saved. People who would come from all over who are saved and those who are going out to proclaim to others from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. The gospel is going forth. It is being proclaimed. And what comes with that proclamation? Not only new life, not only discipleship, not only new churches, but persecution. Because there is an enemy of the gospel who needs to see our perseverance in suffering and in joy, our delight in the gospel, because the gospel is, shows our delight in Jesus Christ. So whether we are suffering or, or, can I say, surfing, enjoying life, there is no change in our heart when it comes to the gospel. We will continue to speak. We will continue to proclaim. We will confront man and his ideologies, and we will confront the powers and the principalities of the air because of the power that is work within us. And so we go. We take this gospel that we are learning together in the local church, through which in your lives you are revealing the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and principalities in the realm of this region of the world, making God known. But then you go and you send so that others will do this as well. Let me, let me read for you what John Calvin had to say about this verse. The church 
composed both of Jews and Gentiles, is a mirror in which angels behold the astonishing wisdom of God displayed in a manner that was unknown to them before. They see a work which is new to them and the reason of which was hid in God. In this manner and not by hearing anything from the lips of men do they make progress. So it's their observations of the church. They're looking into a mirror, beholding the wisdom of God, and they are astonished because they did not know such wisdom until the church was established in Jesus Christ. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards said this, it never would have been mentioned as one end of revealing the plan of redemption that the angels might see how manifold God's wisdom is. If all the wisdom to be seen in it was no greater than their own, it mentioned as a wisdom such as they had never seen before, not in God, much less in themselves. Understand, this is, this is a wisdom that they did not see in God before. And it's a wisdom that they did not see in themselves as angels. He goes on to say that now might be known how manifold the wisdom of God is now thousands of years after the creation. In all that time, the angels had always beheld the face of God and had been studying God's works of creation, yet they never till that day had seen anything like that, never knew how manifold God's wisdom is as now they know it by the church. It's so easy to focus on ourselves and even forget Christ and God and his spirit. But how often do we think about the angelic realm who are God's servants and messengers and what we are making known to them, how we are encouraging them, no matter how big or small we are as a church, this is the work that is going on. And it is a work that advances so who does this advancing? Nobody special. The observation is this. Divine grace and power is dispensed upon a broken man as the gift by which preaching is made manifest. Paul. Paul. Oh, he was high and mighty as a man of the law. He was a persecutor of believers, but now he becomes a preacher to more believers. The Damascus Road, he was confronted by Christ, and the eternal purpose of God was fulfilled in the redemption of a broken, sinful man. Get this now. His weakness and his rebellion was not an obstacle to God and his purpose and his plan. Do you agree with that? Neither is yours. God uses ordinary men and women. Ordinary men and women who will be faithful and who will follow him in his calling and his purposes. Most of you who sit here today are scholars when it comes to the scriptures compared to the knowledge of the scriptures in many of the regions of the world. You have enough Bible knowledge and experience that to be equipped to go could be mighty usable by God. 
because he takes ordinary men. And so let us pray about going. Let us pray about his, how his purpose might be fulfilled through you. The sinful and hostility aggression of bloodthirsty persecutors like Saul does not thwart the purposes of God, and it won't thwart his purposes through you either. So embrace the suffering, embrace the persecution, knowing that you are giving glory to God as you continue to declare his grace, and you are revealing to the angels something that they had not seen and known before. And what do the angels do when they see and learn the manifold wisdom of God. They marvel. They're astonished. And they worship him. We get to be a part of urging and reminding angels to worship God because of the work that we do. Now, don't put Paul on a pedestal because of this grace. Because this grace is given to all of us. He goes on in chapter 4 and says that these grace gifts have been given to apostles and prophets and, and evangelists and pastor teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Well, how will those saints do the work of the ministry? By the same grace that has been given to the apostles and prophets and the same grace that was given to Paul. That grace is given to each one of us in gifts to be used by him. Gifted men equipping the people of God. Why? For the purpose of God. To reveal his glory and his manifold wisdom. And we live in a hard day and it's only going to get harder. The Bible teaches us that one of the key signs of the end of the age is martyrdom and persecution and martyrdom. Why? Have you ever asked the question why? It's because the gospel is going to the unreached places of the world. It's going to the hidden, dark places of the world. The church is advancing into the enemy's territory. And with that comes warfare, and with that comes persecution. But why is that done? Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 14, you can read it there. It's done for one reason, for the Lord's name's sake. We go for his sake. In Revelation chapter 6, it talks about the, the souls of the martyrs under the table, and they have one question. How long, O oh Lord, until you will avenge us? How long? And he says, be patient for a little longer until your full number is complete. So there are others yet to go and to suffer and to be persecuted and even martyred. But what will the result be? Chapter 7 of Revelation speaks of a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus and delighting in the gospel they received from him. Do you know what's amazing to me about that verse in Revelation 7? If you read the book of Revelation, John numbers everything except this multitude. I love that. So how will the end-time church manifest the wisdom of God, not in our own power, but 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, through the demonstration of the spirit and power, not in the wisdom of men, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God for the glory of God as we advance the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so let us be a people who are focused on the gospel, not just for our own delight and our purposes, but for the delight of the nations and for the delight of the angels, so that all together God's creation will bring glory to him through the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ. I would say this as a, in the beginning, here as we conclude, let us pray that the wisdom of God would be revealed through the laying down of our lives for his namesake. We sang it, I surrender all. I tell you, that's a tough song for me to sing. I work hard to be a man of integrity. And I'm not sure I surrender all. Sometimes it might be better if I say I surrender some, if I'm honest with you. But we need to surrender all because whatever we hold back as a part of some is worthless and of no value. And so let us be, be a people who will pray. Let us be a people who will give. Let us be a people who will go all for the glory of God. The redemptive mandate of Jesus Christ is the required mission of the church. The redemptive mandate is what we know is the Great Commission. So, how are we responding to the Great Commission? How are we acting? How are we purposely involved in the Great Commission? As you consider that this morning, uh, I have a video that will be played that speaks to the Great Commission and this work that is ours to advance and reveal the manifold wisdom and the glory of God to the nations and to the rulers and principalities and powers of this earth world. How will you respond and how will you serve the purposes of God?